If you want to find your seat, you can sit there. All right. I'm not humming. I am holding up. All right. Well, thank you guys for coming this morning. It's good to be together. I'm unusually tired, and so we'll see how this goes. I'll try to stay awake so that you don't fall asleep with me. I um, want to thank you guys for, uh, and a lot of you guys emailed or texted about last Sunday. So what happened last Sunday was on Saturday late afternoon and then Sunday morning, we found out that the Make of Family was um, exposed to people who either had symptoms or had tested positive. And so even though we were fine, we didn't want to, and Tyler and Jordan were very wise in just saying, I shouldn't be here because I didn't want to contaminate any of you if I have something. But we didn't. We're fine. So just thank you for that. Yeah, but it was kind of a bummer not being here. But thank you for your understanding and your praying and all of that, and uh, we're doing good. So thanks. All right, so how is Scripture memory going? Isaiah 55, 1 to 3. Anybody want to stand up and swing at it? All right. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and come... Nope. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Is that close? Did I miss something? And delight yourself. Good. And delight yourself. So keep working on it. I'll keep working on it with you. I'll call on you next week, somebody. I, I, would, never, I would do that. Yeah, I would. No, I wouldn't. So just keep working on it. Yeah, I would. Just keep working on it. it it's, it's funny how many times this past week I have noticed that there was something in me that just wanted something. I don't even know what it was, but there was a thirst that was there, and this verse came to mind, and I was able to redirect my attention. Um, so I think there's just a lot of good mileage for my soul, and our souls out of, the, out of those verses. And, and so next Sunday, we're going to actually go back, and I'm going to do another message on just those verses like I did two weeks ago. So we're going to camp out there to, here just for a little bit so that we don't just rush through the Scripture memory, but we're going to keep work, working on how do we apply it? What does it really mean in our lives? So keep, keep working on that. Keep memorizing it. And uh, next week, we'll jump into it again together as a church family. But today, here's what I want to do. Um, we're kind of in that fall vision series um, way of thinking. And what I want to do this morning is I want to shift from, we've been talking about growing, slowing down, pursuing the Lord, coming to him. And we're going to shift this morning to our go mission. 
And, and the reason we're going to kind of pause the grow and move into the go is because I want to make sure that we all understand why we're going to be going to Frederick on October 31st. So everybody knows that that's what we're doing. So October 31st, we don't come here. We're going to go there. We're going to have a little time of singing and uh, teaching there, very brief. And then we're going to be us kind of hosting a harvest party for Living Hope Church, who has a property in downtown Mount Airy where there are lots of people that... Uh, Frederick. Sorry, Frederick. Thank you. Uh, downtown Frederick. Um, and so we're going to be doing that. So what I want to do this morning is, it's kind of a twofold thing. One is just, I want to, I want to clear up confusion that there could be as to what we're doing and why we're doing that, as well as, as well as kind of give us a big picture message, sort of a everything you ever wanted to know about being a disciple of Jesus, but not really, <laughs> but maybe some of the highlights. Some of the things that seem to be very central in Scripture. So I just want to give that to you this morning, this, this idea of the big picture, really very, very big picture. And it's going to encompass stuff that we've talked about as a church for seven years. So this is kind of like a whole seven-year stuff we focused on, overview, get us all on the same page so we know when we go to Frederick why we're doing it and why we know we're doing everything that we're doing as a church, whether it's going or growing. So it's all packed into this, at least at some level. Okay, so I'm going to pray. And we'll jump in. Jesus, I thank you that we're here today. God, uh, you're the one that is right now keeping us alive. You're the one that's giving us life and our breath and our heartbeat and our minds working. And so we thank you for that. And I ask now that you would heighten um, our awareness of your presence and that you would allow our minds and our hearts to be fully engaged for these next few minutes that especially, most importantly, the scriptures that we look at would bring life to our souls. God, that people who are just discouraged this morning, hurting, uh, maybe just confused about life, depressed, struggling, suffering, God, that you would use um, the truth that I'm going to share this morning as a way of just breathing fresh life and hope and peace into people who need it. Uh, so God, I, I ask your spirit would work in every person's heart in a very unique way that everyone would walk out here going, wow, God spoke to me in that one thing. He said that one thing, and we'd leave with that, and that that would um, help us this morning. And so, Spirit, we come. Jesus, we come to you as always. We are needy. We're thirsty, and you've got the water. We're hungry, and you've got the bread. Uh, we are sinners, and you've got the saving, cleansing power. It, this is us as little kids, broke, starving, thirsty, coming to you as our wonderful provider and saying, meet us now, and work in our hearts what you want to do, and do it for our good and for your glory. Amen. Amen. So we have a mission statement, a vision statement. It goes like this. We exist to glorify God by building a community of spirit-filled disciples living on gospel mission. We've talked about this often, but that is really who we are. And I want you to notice, as we're talking about big-picture disciple, that you're in there, because we exist to glorify God by building a community of spirit-filled disciples. So that's you. You're one who's being spirit-filled to make us a community, a people. Does that make sense? So that's you there. You're the disciple who's going to be living on gospel mission and community. So that's where you're at. And we've been connecting this with the storyline of the Bible, which I think is super cool and really important. God has been doing this since the beginning of time. He has been redeeming, gathering, sanctifying, and sending fallen people into the world for his glory. So if somebody ever asks you, what's the Bible about? You say to them, well, actually, it is about God rescuing people, sanctifying them, gathering them together, and sending them for his glory. That's what it's about. So I don't know how well you guys can see, but all that fits in here, just so you don't think I'm nuts with our vision statement. So 
if God is on a move, he's on a mission to rescue people, to redeem them, that's gospel, right? He's, he's redeeming them. Then he gathers them together in community, and then he sends them out after their community, gathers, sends, he sanctifies, that's our grow mission, he sanctifies them, and then he sends them on mission. So again, what has God always been doing since the beginning of time? You go anywhere in your Bible, open a page, and look, and you're going to find that God is either sanctifying, or he's either rescuing somebody, saving them from something, or talking about how he's going to save them from something, or you're going to find him setting them apart, sanctifying them in some way, or talking about how he's gathering people together, or he's sending people to do something. Those themes are everywhere in the Bible. So our vision statement kind of just fits what God is about, who God is, what he's like, and what he's doing. So that's how it fits together. And I really, 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 really think it's important for each of us as individuals to see that you are part of God's story. You're part of it. This earth is just a big stage and you have been cast to be part of his play, not because you're a good actor or actress, not because you're smart or pretty or have a good degree or money. He just chose you because he chose you, because he's just merciful. And so he picks you to be part of the play. And then he says, hey, I'm not just going to pick you to be part of the play, but I'm going to take you from being a villain in the play who ends up in jail on death row. Instead, I'm going to make you part of my story in a way that's going to bring blessing to people and to you. So you're part of this drama, really, that is unfolding, and you are now in that drama as a child of God. Now, what I want to do, so to connect some of these dots for you, is take a few minutes to talk about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus. So in light of all of this, what does it look like? What, what is he doing in your story? <clears throat> you're, you're part of God's story. What is he doing in disciples in our lives as disciples of him? And why this is important is this. If you don't know what it means to be a disciple— then you won't properly understand why we live on Go Mission and why we're going to Frederick even at the end of October. Does that make sense? You've you got to know what it means to be a disciple. Otherwise, you're going to go to Frederick all messed up, not understanding the reasons why, what the reasons are for that. So we're going to talk about what it means to be a disciple. Now, if anyone ever talks to you about what it means to be a disciple, they always should begin not with what a disciple does, but who a disciple is. We must begin with this. A disciple is first and foremost someone who has encountered the risen Christ in such a way that they have a brand new life. Okay, you've got to encounter Jesus first to be a disciple. So you, count the, you encounter the resurrection Christ, resurrected Christ, and he gives you new life. That's where the discussion has to begin. Before we talk about what you do, we talk about who you are, your identity as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So your identity as a disciple has been radically changed because now you are a brand new creation. And I know that is hard to see when we walk the streets of Mount Airy and see lots of different people. We don't think, oh, they're not a new creation. Oh, and that person is a new creation because it all happens so much on the inside. But listen, you are, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you've encountered the risen Christ, you are a brand new Creation. Your life has been completely flipped upside down. So you got to embrace that before we talk about anything about what we're going to do. So just drink, drink this in. These are the kind of things that you need to say. I need to say to myself in the morning when I wake up. I don't know how you wake up. I wake up tired, stupid, discouraged, all the junk in my life. That's how I wake up, and I don't even want to live a day. So these are the things that help me. I remember who I am. 
Who am I? And what has God done? I was dead, but now I'm alive. And the same is true of you. You were dead in your sins, and now you are alive. You were an orphan, and now you're adopted. You were rejected, and now you're accepted. You were lost, and now you're found. You were hell-bound, and now you're heaven-bound. You were hopeless, and now you have hope. You were on the outside of God, and now you are brought into the inside. You were separated from him, and now you are reconciled to God. You were under the wrath of God, and now you're under the love of God. You were a sinner, and now you're a saint. God was against you, and now God is for you. And the list goes on and on. Do you believe those things to be true about who you are? So much of our problems in life are often anchored in the reality that we forget who we are in Christ this is just really good news. We have been changed completely in so many ways. And this is important because in the world, I don't know if you've noticed, but you are defined more by what you do than who you are, right? You get defined by your job. You get your identity is all wrapped up in our money or our looks or education or abilities or fashion or cars or whatever it is. And that becomes our worth or our identity. That's the way the world rolls. That's not the way how God rolls. That's not how God sees you. That's not the values that God has. So who you are in Christ and what God has done for you as a disciple of Jesus needs to inform everything about your identity and who you are. And then that determines what you do. So I hope you get this. Because if you are not joyfully grounded in who you are in Christ, it will jack up everything you do. Because if I'm not secure with everything I know is true about Jesus and how he sees me and who I am in Christ, and my identity is in that, then I'm going to look for my identity and my value in you thinking I'm great or in how much I can serve, or how well I'm doing in life with other people. And all these other things start to become my identity. So this is huge for us. Who you are in Christ must come before what you ever do for him. Do you get that? It's key. Embrace that. Because you will this week, if you're human, I'm guessing, you will be discouraged, you will be depressed, You will want to give up. You will feel hopeless. And you've got to remind yourself of who God is and what he has done for you to change your identity, that you are a new person, and remind yourself of these things. All right, so now, based on that, we talk about, okay, if that's me, what do I go do now? Once I've anchored myself in that reality of who I am, what is it that a disciple does, or what does a disciple look like? How do we make it tangible? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? So as a church, we have talked about three things, and we're going to talk about these much more in weeks to come, one at a time, but I want to just give a quick overview. If you're a disciple of Jesus, somebody says, what do, you, what do you do as a disciple? What are disciples like? You would say this. A disciple is someone who seeks to know God, to love God, and to live for God. So again, these are big picture categories of Scripture. But if you go through Scripture, it seems like people that are called by God, that know God, that are walking with God, they know, I want to know God, I want to love him more, and then I want to live for him more. So let's take us a minute, let's tease these out. So what does it mean to, to know God? If you need a discipleship plan for yourself, a discipleship plan for someone you're discipling, you would say, all right, here are some categories for us to think about. First of all, in light of who I am in Christ, I am a disciple who wants to know God. 
So this idea about knowing God begins with knowing God's character, right? His attributes. If I wanted to get to know you, I'd ask you things about yourself. I'd ask you questions. And then I would probably follow you around to see what you do. And that's how I would get to know you, right? I'd ask questions, I'd listen to you, I'd watch you, and I'd follow you around. So same is true with God. We want to know God's character, his attributes. We need to know the role that he's playing in the universe and the role that he plays in your life. Somebody once said, maybe you guys know who this is, I couldn't remember, that the most important thing about you is what you believe about God. Was that Tozer? I don't remember who it was. I don't know, it wasn't me. But I think, I, I think it's true. The most important thing about you is what, what do you really believe about God? Like, really believe. Not just on paper, not creed, not, but really in your soul. What do you believe about God? That's really the most important thing about you because that's going to determine so many things about how you live your life. And so it's important that we get to know God. We want to know God rightly. And so as a result, as a church, I don't know how many years ago now, we memorized together Philippians 3, 7, and 8. which goes like this. But whatever gain I had... I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So Paul looks at his life and he says, I may have done some great things and I may do some great things in the future, but none of those matter compared to me knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He wanted to know Christ. Now, I know this comes and goes for me, but does your heart ache at times? Is there a burning that says, I, I want to know Jesus more. I just want to walk with him. I want to I know more what he's like. I want to experience his presence more. Do you ever feel that? I mean, that's, that's what Paul's heart is aching for. I just, I just want to know Christ. He goes on to talk about the Christ and the power of his resurrection and sharing in his suffering. So do you want that this morning? Do you feel that this morning? Do you, since we've been studying and memorizing Isaiah, have you been figuring out new ways to come to Christ, to go to, go to him, to seek him out, like Isaiah 55 says, to pursue him and to hunt after him like hidden treasure? Is that a part of your life? Do you have it as your aim? I hope you do at different times in different ways, to expend energy just to expand your mind to understand who God is in just really simple ways, through his word, right? You guys know he, he tells us who he is in the Bible, right? That's kind of like Sunday School 101. And then creation, you go outside, just check out creation every week and go, all right, God, let me, show me something about who you are. I want to know you. Show me something. He can do it through other people. So I talk about speaking Jesus to one another. So when I'm with somebody and I'm watching them, I, I learn things about what God is like through you. And hopefully you do through me. There's another piece of the puzzle for our lives, seeking fresh fillings of God's spirit. Or another way. So just there's tangible ways. It's not like, oh, I've got to know God. How do I do that? There's, there's a variety of ways. We just got to have our eyes open to see how God is revealing himself to us. So as a disciple, we seek to know God. And then number two, we seek to love him. We want to love him more. I mean, we all know, we memorized Matthew 22, where Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He tells us to do that. And he says, the great and the first commandment. So, again, big picture, disciple 101, you want to know who God is, and then as a response to that, love him more. Which I know it sometimes can also feel like trying to grab jello, Right? Love God. What does it mean for me to love God 
with all of my heart. And so Jesus even says in Matthew 22, this is the greatest commandment and it's the first one. Almost like he says, look, knowing God in your mind and with your heart should be your first priority because it's the greatest thing you can do. So is it your first priority? And do you see it as the greatest thing you could ever do? Is getting your mind, he says that in the verse, and your heart involved in loving God. That is an aim we should have. And sometimes I try to, one of the guys prayed this morning with me, I think it was Jordan, just said, the English language is really hard, God, so help us. <laughs> like, how do, you, how do you explain some of this stuff? And so I don't want to use extreme language, but it's, it's good for us, I think, to, to think about what would it look like? What does it feel like in my heart to love God? God, God gave you emotions. So there should be emotions that stir in your heart for God. Sometimes they're stronger than others, but there should be. He gave them to you. And so what does it mean to, to love God? And I think sense we could say, there's a sense in which I think we should become completely infatuated with him, consumed, overwhelmed, even obsessed. You ever been obsessed over something? I have. <laughs> like crazy. Like it's all I think about. It's all I want to do. It's like, Imagine if I could divert that obsession, that energy, that focus, whoop, to God. Say, no, I want, I want to be obsessed with God this way. I want, to be, I want to be this crazy about God as I am for this whatever it is. And I want to give my mind to God that much and my heart to God that much. I want my knee-jerk reaction to a spare moment to be, I want to know more about God. I want to love God more. Like, that's what I think Jesus is saying when he tells us to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And then with that, to identify where's the competition. There's always a competition in your heart. Who are you going to love? What are you going to love? And so sometimes it's identifying, oh, I love this with all of my heart and mind, and it must be competing for the love that I'm supposed to have for God. So sometimes it's cutting out and killing some of those things that get in the way of us giving all of our affections to him. All right, and I got I to gotta share this too, because these are, these, are like, these are handles for me. Like, if I say, just go this week and love God more, you're kind of like, oh, I don't know maybe how to do that. So handles, too, that really help me. You guys read it yesterday. If you're in, the, if you're in our Bible reading plan as a church, um, 1 John 4, where, where he says, we love because he first loved us. You guys saw that when we read it? So, so we love because he loved us first. Now, the context there is loving people. He loved us, so we love people. But it's also true of God. So I would say you want to grow in your love for God, spend some time thinking about how much God loves you. Spend some time considering the gospel, considering the, the love that was displayed on the cross for you. Look up verses about God's love for you, and that will cultivate your love for him. It's a good thing to do that. Another one that I, I came across, I was reading this past week, is in Luke, where Jesus just says, who loves more? It's a question. Who loves more, the one forgiven little or the one forgiven much? The rhetorical question. The answer is the person who was forgiven much. And I don't think Jesus is saying there, sorry, Matt, but there's other people that have sinned more, and so you'll never love me as much as them. <laughs> I don't think that's his point. I think his point is think about how much you've been forgiven. Make a list. Check it twice. Find out how naughty and how not nice you've been. <laughs> and then go to God and let that fuel your love for him. The more you see how much you've been forgiven, the more you'll love him. 
So don't hesitate to spend time confessing sin to God. God, here's all the, here's all the things you've forgiven me for just today and list them. And then ask him to turn that, that what should be guilt and condemnation into love for him because you've been forgiven. Do you see the connection here between that and who you are? Because if you don't see yourself as a beloved, forgiven, justified child of God, you don't want to make that list of things that you've been forgiven for. But if you embrace who you are in those ways, then you don't mind making that list, and then your heart will beat with love for God. Make sense? Ah, So does it? Does it, does it, does it? Does your heart beat for God deeply? And do you want it to beat for God deeply? So those are just some suggestions. So we want to know God. We want to love God. And then lastly, we want to live for him. We want to live our lives for him. And when we talk about living our lives for him, I know you guys know this, but how often I have to be reminded, God's not looking for good behavior, right? He's not just looking for you to toe the line, do the right thing. He wants our hearts. So when we talk about living for God, it needs to grow out of a heart that wants to live for God. And so in order to help us with that, we memorized years ago, 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And so what's the key for you to be transformed? Answer? Read your Bible more. Go to church every Sunday. What's the key to being transformed? You've got to behold Christ. You've got to behold Jesus. And so, yes, read your Bible, to behold Christ. Yes, come to church, to behold Christ. And if you come here and Christ is not being exalted and lifted up, then go somewhere else where Christ is being exalted and lifted up because you should leave here having beheld Christ in his glory because that's what transforms our hearts. You see who he is, and then you will want to live for him. Your heart will be transformed from the inside out. So behold him. And then we do, that changes behavior. You see what he's like, and he transforms you to be like him. You're being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. And I love that. It's incremental. Very seldom can I go, look how I've grown. (laughs) It's one degree to the next, a little bit at a time. But it's happening, and he says it will as we behold him. So we then, as we're transformed, we get to act like God. We get to behave like God. We get to show the world what God is like by acting like him. And so we've specifically applied this to parenting, although it applies to all of our lives. For example, why do we tell our kids not to lie? It's important that they understand why we're telling them not to lie. It's not just so they don't get in trouble at school. It's not just so they won't lose their friends. But we don't lie because God doesn't lie. Right? We want to reflect him. We want to show the world what he's like. So when I lie, I'm painting an inaccurate picture of what God is like to the world. And so that's what we want our kids to hear. And that's what should drive us. I mean, pick a category. Pick generosity. We want our kids to be generous. I want to be generous. Why? What motivates me? Because I'm generous, the person on the other end thanks me a lot. I feel good about myself. Ultimately, I want to be generous because God's generous. Why why would I confess sin to someone? Why would I tell somebody things about me that don't make me look good and that they would never know about me if I didn't tell them? Well, because 
God is self-disclosing, and God tells me things about himself that I wouldn't know unless he chose to tell me. So when I share things with other people, what am I doing? I'm acting like God. I'm being transparent. I'm being self-revealing to them. So there's so many things about knowing God and his character that should change our hearts and then give us motivation to do things to live for him. Does that make sense? But it's connected to God and who he is and what he has done for us. It also changes our priorities when we live for God. Our priorities get flipped upside down. We, we begin to love the things God loves and hates the thing, hate the things God hates, and it reorients our calendars when we begin to live for God. And then it also changes our purposes for things a lot of times. We have a new purpose, right? A disciple-maker is someone who makes disciples, just like a chef is someone who makes food, <laughs> Right? Chef makes food, disciple maker makes disciples. I think I said this, I told this story before, but when I graduated high school and I told a friend of mine I was going to be a carpenter, and he goes, you're going to make carpets? <laughs> so I'd explain to him what it meant, but you're, you're, if you're a disciple, then by default you're a disciple maker. That, that's your identity. It's part of who you are as a new creation. You're, you're going to go disciple others. You're going to speak Christ to them. You're going to show them what God is like by how you live your life, by how you act, by how you talk. By the priorities you have and the decisions you make. People are to look at us and they should be discipled by how we live and by what we say. And so that's a change. And then another change of purpose for our lives is we don't see ourselves anymore as simply going places casually to do stuff. We see ourselves as people who've been sent by God to do things. Right? We are sent people. We are sent ones. And so this to me, I think, is... is as we turn the corner, praise God, getting to interact with people more and talk to people more and have people over our houses for meals and all that. I think this is something just to reinvigorate us with. For us to remember, part of your identity is that you are a sent one. That when God calls people, he sends people. He doesn't call people so they can be reclusive. He, call, he calls them and then he sends them out. And so I just want to give you a quick survey that I hope helps us with what does this look like? What is this thing about God sending people? Because this tells you something about God. We can go to God's word and it says, you know, God is abundant and steadfast love. And that's a fact. We read it. But there's also things we learn about God by just watching what God does in the Bible. What does he do in redemptive history? And so something he does over and over and over again is he reveals himself to people and then he sends them to be a blessing. It's it's everywhere. So I'm going to, Bree's going to run through these slides with me and I'm just going to highlight a couple here. Just starting with Abraham. We're going to get to Abram in a couple of weeks when we go back to Genesis chapter 12. But God gets a hold of Abram. This is the first time he speaks to Abram from what we know. And what does he say to Abram? His first word to Abram. Go. <laughs> it's like, Abram, I got a plan for you. And he, and he says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I'll show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. Why? So that you'll be a blessing. So God reveals himself, calls, and sends him to be a blessing. He does the same thing with Moses. We're going to kind of jump around, but he, next thing we encounter is Moses. You guys know the story of Moses, right? He does a double take because the bush keeps burning, and it's not burning up. So he goes over to it, right? And, and God speaks to him. God calls him to the bush, and he says this, And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression in which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh 
that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I'm going to send you so you can be a blessing to my children. And then Moses responds in typical human fashion. But Moses said to him, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And so God repeats it again. Verse 12, he said to him, But I will be with you. Does that sound familiar? I will be with you. Maybe a little Matthew 28 hint there, right? And then he says, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. So God is a sending God. Isaiah, you guys know the story. Isaiah's in the temple. Imagine this building starting to shake. Shaking and he's wet in his pants. And then he hears a voice. He gets up and he responds to the Lord. And he says, whom, God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah responds with, Here am I, send me. And he said, go and say to the people. And he brings them a warning, which is blessing. So again, God's calling people. Then you get to Jeremiah. Beautiful words in Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, which is true of everybody in this room, by the way. Before you were formed, God knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I set you apart. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Not true for all of us. Verse (laughs) 6. And I said, Ah, O Lord, God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. So he makes his excuse. And what does God say? Do not say you're only a youth. For to all whom I say I will send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. Do you see the pattern? God calls people to himself. He reveals himself to them. He sends them on mission. Man says, no way, I don't want to go. And then God says, I'm going to be with you, and I'm sending you anyway. That's the pattern, right? It's it's the same every time. We see it in Acts. We'll get there in a second. Go to Ezekiel, one last one here. So in Ezekiel, I don't know where we started. And he said, good. And he said, son of man, so he's speaking to Ezekiel. And so he said to me, son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to the nations, of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their father have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also have impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord. So the same story. God gathers someone, then he sends them out. And this goes right into the New Testament with his disciples. But it begins in the New Testament with God showing us that he is a sending God. In John 17, we've looked at this before. We see the Father sent Jesus it says this in John 17, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, Father, and the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So God, Father, sent Jesus, and then we see the Father and Jesus get together and send the Spirit. In John 14, the Father sends the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit, the Helper, whom the Father will send in my name. So Father sends the Spirit, and then Jesus in John 15 says, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send. So Jesus is sending the Spirit. And then we get to Jesus sending us. Because God's a sending God. God's a missionary God. God's in pursuit of people. And he wants to use you to pursue people. And so we see in John chapter 20, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And in case you think that's limited just to them, he says in chapter 17, that it includes all the people who will be saved through their message in the future that he is sending to the nations. So it's all there. And of course, we've memorized Matthew 28. 
Anybody want to stand up and say that one? <laughs> and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then we have that beautiful phrase, And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So he's going to be with you. It's the same thing. Why? Because that's who God is. You don't get to Matthew 28 and go, Oh, wow, look, God's pulling a new stunt. It's what he's always been doing. He loves to bless other people through his children. And so that's the mission we've embraced as a church since the very beginning, that we believe God is a sending missionary God. He loves to send people and that he chose you. He called you. He set you free. He empowers you to live on mission for him in this world. And we've embraced the reality that people don't often just wander into churches in America in 2021 because they think we're weird, and we are. But we're not a churchy culture anymore. So we realize that what Jesus said is true. We need to go to them. So we've targeted your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, the waiter, the waitress, the, your mechanic, your doctor, the person at the grocery store, your bartender, whoever the people are that God brings into your life, you need to realize that you've been sent to them. God has sent you to them just to love them. I mean, you want to just take the go and we could just say love people. Just love people. Don't be in such a hurry and slow down and ask somebody how they're doing. And they will tell you. <laughs> but we got to slow down long enough. Uh, Elspeth and I, side note, Elspeth and I have been doing a lot of reading and talking about this, but we've, we've concluded, I think it's true, you cannot be in a hurry and love people. And there have been so many times since we talked about this two months ago that we've realized we're not loving people right now because we are in a hurry. You can't do it. you got to slow down. So if you're going to love people and live on go, you've got to slow down, not be in such a hurry, and realize there's people around you that you have been sent to, to encourage, to talk to, to build relationally with. So there it is. So we are to know God, love God, and live for God by loving people specifically as we're sent to them is how we live for him as disciples. And we've talked about how God loves to do this through eating and drinking and partying. That's his means. So I want to illustrate this for a second because I know we've got lots of kids in here. So why don't I get Finn, come on over here. And then I'm going to get another kid to come up here. So I want you to take a bag out of here. And I want you to peek in it. Is that good or bad? It's good. All right, take another one. One is for you, and I'm sending you. That one's, you can look better look. That one might not have the same thing in it. Is that one good too? All right, so I'm sending you. You've got good news, and I'm sending you now to go deliver that to somebody. You pick who. Corbin, you want to come? You deliver it to whoever you want. I want you to look in a bag. Make sure you like what you see. You like what you see? All right. Take two. You keep one for yourself. And you deliver one. I'm sending you with good news. All right. Any, all the other kids can come here. Do you to take two bags. You keep one, and I'm sending you to give the one to somebody else and to be a blessing. Bennett, take two. Deliver one. 
and you get to keep one. I'm sending you one's for you. No, you can give it to whoever you want to give it to. I have one left. I'm sending you. I'll bring that back to your family. My kids are old, and I don't have grandkids yet, so I'm going to do stuff like this, and all you parents are going to hate me. All right. All right, so kids, even though you may have not handed that to somebody that you know really well, was that fun? I mean, it's kind of fun to give good stuff away, isn't it? Like, it's fun to be able to, like, hey, I got this, and I'm going to give you some, too. Listen, adults, we have something really good to give away, and God is sending us to give it away, and we should have the same, even more joy in our own hearts that we have been sent to love people with the love we've received as kids are when they've got two bags and they get to give one away. Got it? You're sent missionary. And so Jesus has a habit of doing this on the earth and he just loved I mean what they people hated Jesus because he ate and drank with sinners. They hated him because he partied. And so we've embraced in our church a doctrine of partying that is our missional strategy as a means of building relationships with other people. That's our approach that we're taking. Hanging out with people, eating meals with people, partying with people so that they can experience acceptance and love, and we can ask them questions and share Christ with them. That's our way of doing it. So now we move to Frederick because this is a shift, okay? Going to Frederick is a shift because, let me say this, everything I've just said should inform why we're going to Frederick, okay? We are going to Frederick to love people as sent ones, and we're going to support the church in Frederick because they don't have as many resources as we have. So in essence, what we are doing is we are hosting a party for them and for their neighborhood so their neighbors can come and experience a party so that we can love them and they can love them. And our approach has always been to build long-lasting friendships with people. And when we go to Frederick, we might not have the opportunity to do that. So that's a shift. We might just serve people and love them, but maybe not long-term, but we're setting them up so they can love people long-term. Does that make sense? So that's kind of fits in our vision. It is a shift. I'm acknowledging that, which may be why some people were, con- were confused as to why are we going to Frederick this way. But that really is the goal. We want to bless the Frederick Church and the people that live close to the Frederick Church by throwing a party on their behalf. And we go doing that in light of who we are, that we've been set free and sent by God to go love other people that way. So I want to encourage us to not get too wrapped around the axle in what we're doing as much as who you are and just loving people because that's the aim. The party is just an excuse to love other people. That's it. It's just an excuse to spend time with people. And so that's why we're throwing the party in Frederick. And so you all got a handout. I'm going to take you through the handout, not the whole thing, but I just want to take you through the second page because there's a lot of questions about how. So hopefully I just explain the whys. This is a shift to some degree, but you are still going as a disciple of Jesus, 
as part of the way that you get to live for him by throwing a party in Frederick for others. So the first page here is probably what I just preached in a more condensed form, so you can read that later. Number one at the bottom of page one is just a reminder we won't be here with an outline of the morning, a schedule for the morning. And then you go on the back, page two. And just so you know, Ruth is going to, next week, Ruth and maybe Brie together are going to share more details. Like they're going to put up, they're going to put up a map and like here's how this is actually going to look. But, right Brie? Is that the first time you found out? No. Okay, good. Okay, good. <laughs> they are going to be the admin leaders of this. Um, but basically, if you guys have been to a street fair, like do you guys go to the Oktoberfest in Mount Airy? Last week? Yeah, so you guys kind of know, like all these booths are kind of set up. That's what we're going to do. And different members of the church can volunteer to say, I want to run that booth. I want to put that booth together. And so if you look at number three at the top of page two, the goal is that before, prior to October 31st, everyone in the church is somehow involved in some station. Now, I understand there's a variety of gifts in the room. So some of you are more gifted at administration. Some of you would rather just have a shopping list. You'd rather go shopping. So we're going to try to form teams, but we need people first to set up to say, I'm willing to be the leader of a station or a booth or whatever we're calling them. Does that make sense? So we already have some of these covered. So like I think Maria and the Sigmunds, are you guys together doing a face painting booth? No. No. Pumpkin Pumpkin booth. Okay, so they're going to get pumpkins. They're going to the whole thing. Their booth doesn't need any help. But that gives you an example. I think Lydia and Abigail, you guys are going to do coffee, hot chocolate, hot apple cider stuff. So we kind of got that covered. A couple other people. I know the Hiveleys have some people helping them, and they're going to make basically trick-or-treat bags. So I have a table. So when kids come, we give them a bag of candy, and they're going to have that ready to go. Is there somebody else am I missing? So those are ideas. So stuff we got to have is we need to have, like, hot dogs, like lunch. So we need somebody who's willing to say, I'll be the point person to make sure that that happens. And then we got to find people who have grills they can bring and people who can go shopping for the hot dogs and the buns and all that, you know, sides and all that kind of stuff. So we're trying to figure out who the point people are. That's what the emails I've been sending out are about. What are you willing to lead? And then if other people say, I'd like to serve on that team, we'll plug you into that team and we'll figure out what your part is. And that's what I think Ruth and Bree are going to really help to structure that and organize that for us. So the point of page two is to give you just a really clear outline of what's expected, what we're asking people to do. And, and I want to say this. I know it's on Halloween, so it's on the 31st. And some of you have a, already have a very healthy, good tradition of throwing a Halloween party at your house on Halloween. That takes priority over this. Does that make sense? If you have been building friendships with your neighbors and they know your house is the house where the party is, and your house is one of the biggest candy bars, and you know, I can't do both of these or I'll be exhausted, just do the one at your house. Does that make sense? That, that's where you're building. That's your mission field. That's where you've been sent, where you live. So make that your go. That's your 100%. Let's get this done. Don't do this too if you can't. Does that make sense? So make sure you guys hear that clearly. So there it is. And then on page three, this is like a sample And the sample is for the hot dog station because we really got to have that. And it kind of gives you an idea of what is expected. So this is what is expected of a team to figure out. So as soon as we get some people who say, I want to be part of this team, we can find out who in that group can maybe bring the leadership to it and then Bree and Ruth can help oversee it. Does that make sense? So, So page three is like a sample, like what you would do for your 
station, and you would just plug in your things that you need to put in there. So does that make sense? So one, one other thing to add is that uh, Gene and Renee, the Houstons, went up there two weeks ago when they had their uh, clothing and food giveaway, and they helped organize their food, their uh, clothing pantry. And what they noticed was there is a big hole um, with children's clothing. They really need more clothing for children to give away. And so Gene and Renee, they're going to make an announcement next Sunday. They're teaching today. Um, but Gina and Renee have said, if you guys have any good clothes that your kids don't wear anymore or can't fit in, bring them here. And Gina and Renee are going to organize getting those clothes to Frederick so we can give them away on the 31st. Does that make sense? And they're gonna, they'll share next week, and then we can decide if we have enough on our own. Are we going to go buy clothes to put in their clothing drive? Maybe we do that. I don't know. But if you have clothes to bring those, you can see Gina and Renee for more details about that. All right? So I, I hope you heard, I, Tyler Jordan and I would want you to hear, our heart beats for who you are in Christ more than what you do for Christ. And that the 31st is just an overflow of what God has done for us. So we're not expecting this to be the best performance on the universe. It's not. We're going to flub it up some, but we're going to love people because God has loved us. So I want to do this. Take, I want to take a minute or two. Is, is, are there questions and I may, about the 31st, and I may just say, wait till next week or talk to Bree. <laughs> or I, Ruth's probably at home watching this. She couldn't be here today. So she's probably at home watching this. And I mean, you know what? Here they come. I'm going to give them, hey, put her phone number up there. <laughs> text, text Ruth your questions and you can, no, seriously. Is, is there anything that you're like, whoa, this is still really confusing? What's happening? Excellent question. So um, kids versus people. So Albert has said that they're going to advertise this. They don't usually advertise must. And he said, we should probably expect to have about 100 people. Now, he couldn't tell me the ratio of kids to adults. He couldn't tell me all that. He doesn't know. Honestly, no idea. (laughs) So here we go. (laughs) Um, We will, we're going to, whoever, as we prepare the food, we're going to have enough food, obviously, for us, too. Does that make sense? But we don't necessarily have enough of everything for everyone, so, like, this is, we'll talk about this more next week, but there's going to be a training opportunity for parents because, for example, Aubrey is making, Aubrey is a cupcake master, so she's making specialty cupcakes. Well, we would decimate that table in five minutes. So we're going to have to teach our kids self-control that the cupcakes aren't for us. The cupcakes are for them. But then with, like, pumpkin doing, we can have enough so that our kids can do that but parents will be training our kids so that if we see kids from the neighborhood coming in, we kind of move out of the way, let their kids do their thing, and then our kids funnel back in. Funnel back in. Does that make sense? So it's a training opportunity. Look, I don't know, maybe Abigail, you disagree, but I feel like one of the, one of the most um, fruitful things we did with our kids as they were growing up was we hung out with lost people. And they saw us hanging out with lost people and talking with lost people and how that kind of molded even who they are because they watched us and what we did and they saw our heart for lost people and that built into them that there's something going on here that's bigger than just our family. So just encourage you to parents, this is training your kids that there's kids that are in Frederick that are going to come to have a pumpkin decorated that have never heard the gospel. They know nothing about Jesus and all they do is feel guilty for the stuff they do. It's a chance to help your kids to embrace that. Um, on the 31st. There's just so many things that can happen on that day as we kind of think ahead and pray ahead. Does that make sense? Good. Chevy, question? Yeah, um, I have a question. I don't mean this in a mean way or anything. I just 
Yeah. But why can't we do something like this in our church or our community? Sure. And is it just because they follow the first? Or I'm just having a hard time understanding why we can't go sure. in our Sure. Sure. Good question. Um, but this is something I've encouraged the church to do since the very, very beginning in your community groups because, well, first of all, we don't have a place to do it. So I've said, let's go to parks and do it. So I've said to the community group leaders since day one, hey, why don't you host whatever you want at a park, cook out, invite people, and then as people are wandering the park on the beautiful fall day or whatever it is, give, them, give away hot dogs. And some of the groups have done that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if you guys, if, if you and a group of your friends want to go to Watkins Park and let's grill hot dogs and pull out some pumpkins and invite the people who are with their kids playing at the park, do it. We'll give you all the money you want. Do it. Well, not all the money you want. Because <laughs> Chip doesn't want to hear it. What do you make to say you give all the money away? Does that make sense? So yeah. Do it in your neighborhood. Do it on your block. Do it at the park. All right. I'm sure you guys have more questions. That's okay. We'll talk next week. Ruth will be here with Bree. They'll make announcements next week. I'm going to pray. I went long. I don't think we'll even bother singing. Is that okay? Let me just pray for us. Thank you. Sorry it was long. So much to say. And I have more. <laughs> Jesus, I, I, I just pray, Lord, that first and foremost, all of my friends in this room would find their hearts encouraged by the reality of who they are in Jesus. God, that we would embrace that we are forgiven, adopted children of the Almighty God. May we embrace the reality that Christ dwells in us. And may he be our identity. God, may you be our very life so that we won't look to other things or other people to find what our souls are craving for in you. And God, I do pray that you would help us to respond to all that you've done for us and your calling on our lives as people that really believe that we have been sent. We've been sent to go be a blessing to other people. And so God, the moment we walk out of this door in a few minutes, may we just embrace the reality that we're being sent wherever we're going. And may we have eyes to see the people that you want us to love and listen to and build friendships with. And though we pray ahead of time for the 31st, we ask God that you would give us um, the manpower, the gifts, the abilities, the time um, to get to put the booths together that you want us to have. And Lord, ultimately we know that throwing the party is not the end mean, but we're trying to show people your love and your generosity and your care. And so Lord, break our hearts for the people that don't know you. Help us to love them and care for them and listen to them. May our eyes be on you and on them as we uh, throw this little party in Frederick. God, we believe there's people that don't know you. Some of them are our neighbors today, and some of them are people that we're going to meet on the 31st. God, they don't know you, and we want to do whatever we can to play a part in them coming to saving faith in you. And so help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed, and I've got...